It's time to write a new story. This is Success Stories with Madison Piper. It's the place where women discuss how to make an impact. Here's your host, Madison Piper. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Success Stories. Now, today's guest might be pretty familiar to some of you success fans because she has been the cover of Success Magazine, and that is ClassPass founder Payal Kadakia. Now, Payal knows how to live a limitless life. She shattered the ceiling as a woman in tech, building ClassPass from the ground up, and now she's on to a new adventure with her book, Life Pass. So today we bring in Payal Kadakia to talk about what it means to live as a limitless entrepreneur and live as a woman of influence. Payal, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to have you here in Success Stories. So nice to be here. Thank you guys so much. I've loved all of your support through the years and it's been great to be back and I love, you know, having another thing to share in my life. Yeah, we're really excited. So you have a new book, Life Pass, but you were actually the founder of Class Pass, which you sold. But uh, when you were running Class Pass, you were the cover of Success Magazine. I know. I remember that. It was yeah. incredible. Um, you know, I think the reason that it hit me the most is being someone who is Indian and American and sort of grew up here. Um, I guess I didn't see many people look like me on covers of magazines, whether it be business or lifestyle. So um, that was just like, I think a moment of just celebration to just know like how far I've come since my parents came here. Um, I talk a lot about that and how my upbringing, uh, really like shaped my life and my identity and how we all need to sort of embrace who we are, all the different threads of who we are, mm-hmm. uh, to become, you know, really happy and fulfilled in what we are today. Absolutely. And your cover on success. I mean, that cover story was really, really great for people who are listening, who haven't read it. You can go to success.com and find Payal's cover story. But I also just have to give you a compliment. Your outfit on that cover was incredible. I just have to throw that out there really quick. You had on this like white blazer suit. Oh yeah. Right, right, right. Off. Wait, was that, it was like off the shoulder, right? Um, On one side. I have to thank my, like my stylist, Brie. Uh, she is incredible because this is, you know, I'm a tech founder. The style and stuff is not exactly what I do with my time all day. Um, but thankfully there are people who are really good at it and super talented in the world like she is. And so, um, I remember when she brought it to me and like, I'm a really petite person. So it's hard to sometimes, I don't know, find stuff that like works. And I remember telling her like, I don't want to wear a suit because it sometimes feels like boxy on me because I'm like a really petite human being. Um, and so I wanted to find someone that like felt, it felt like creative, but also felt flowy because I'm a dancer, but then also serious because, you know, I've done stuff in my life. And so I feel like it just hit all the chords when we put it on. And even with the jacket, I remember when we were shooting it, we were like, we didn't know what we were going to do with it. It was like on two shoulders, one shoulder, and then it just hit. And the photographer we worked with was amazing. I mean, I just remember getting that issue in the mail um, and I've worked at Success for a few years now. And so I've seen a lot of issues come through and everything. And I got that one in and I remember looking at it and being like, oh my gosh, she's fabulous. That outfit, like it was just fabulous. I was like, first of all, I need that. Second of all, I can't wait to share this like story with everybody and everything. But I had to throw that out there um, because it's top of mind for me. But absolutely. um, Okay. So moving forward, you just mentioned that you're a woman in tech. Uh, so you are a woman in a definitely a male dominated field. Um, what's that been like for you? How was that starting out as a woman in a field that's dominated by men? You know, I think what I always have to start with is I 
really started in this world 10 years ago, right? So, and I think a decade ago in tech was even, I hate to say it, was even worse a little bit when it comes to the numbers. Uh, But at the same time, it was this growing time where everyone was throwing stuff at the wall. It kind of reminds me of like Web3 and what's going on today in that world. Um, It was a really small percent of the world that was doing it. I already knew I was taking the sort of, you know, unchartered path in what I was doing. And I think because I knew that, I just already knew from day one, like I was doing something that other people don't do. And so I didn't let anyone around me or the environments around me um, hinder me or make me doubt myself in any way. And it's funny because if anything, I actually think the environment I was in before, which was more like the corporate world, was making me doubt myself. So in a weird way, just being free from sort of like the shackles of like society's expectations and what I had to do and work all the day, having a boss, all of that, I think freed me. And the second I felt free, I just found my confidence and I knew I was building something that I truly cared about. So when it came down to you know, the idea that I was different in any of these rooms, like I felt like I was exceptional because I, here I was, there was no other person who understood going to class as much as I did. And then also had this like MIT and Bain background I did. And so I think like, if anything, I started really remembering that it was all these different parts of me that made me the exact person to build this company and that it was a strength and not a weakness to be who I was. And I think, you know, being a woman in general, like I grew up in a household where my mom ran the show. She was a dominant human being, you know, both my parents obviously immigrated here in the 70s, but she was just a force of nature. And I don't think growing up, I ever questioned the role of a woman in anything. And so I think, you know, we talk about role models so much and I think it is so important. And I'm just so lucky that I found that in my mom. And I know that's, you know, an interesting way to, to, to talk about it and think about it, but she made me never feel like I couldn't do anything in my life. And that really, I think, is part of why I literally didn't let what I looked like, my gender, any of that stop me in being able to build what I wanted to. Having that powerful influence, that powerful, influential woman in your life at such a young age, I'm sure, you know, shapes a lot of how you see yourself grown and gives you the confidence, you know, to move forward. Like you just said, um, I think a lot of women really are listening to this can relate to that. I mean, I know I can, my mom was huge and, you know, giving me the confidence to move forward, no matter my career or anything. Um, that said, you mentioned earlier that it was a lot for you. It meant a lot for you to be on the cover of success because, you know, growing up for you, there wasn't a lot of Indian American women on the covers of magazines. So what is it like for you knowing that little like girls can look at you and say, she looks like me and look at her. Oh, you're like going to make me cry. <laughs> um, um, you know, it's, it's really amazing. Like I think, um, you know, I just want them to know that they can follow their own path. And I think, you know, especially being an Indian American, you are, you are just brought up with so many of society's expectations, right? Whether that comes from your parents or the community around you and, I think the more you can see people who have charted their own path, right? Who have strive for another success that's not sort of the defined path of get married, have kids, and blah, blah, blah. Like, I think that's when, you know, you really can feel like, oh my God, I love to do something in the world. And, you know, I was really lucky that I found dance when I was really young. And obviously, I talk a lot about that in the success story um, that Kendra put together. I mean, the way she actually talked about the story, um, you know, for that 
for that article she did it was really beautiful in a weird way. Um, you know, I, I trained in literally basements when I was younger, because even till this day, like there really is no infrastructure for Indian dance, while it's one of the most ancient and, you know, beautiful artistic dance forms in the world. Um, we literally all just train in garages and basements. And that's how we were taught to dance. But I think having that upbringing in my life and dance in my life is what made me feel like I was exceptional. I was beautiful. I had something that came from these threads of these women who were, you know, obviously from my mom's grandmother to my ancestors that I was carrying down. And even though I didn't know her and probably, you know, grow up in India and see it, I knew she was a part of me and in my DNA. And until I sort of found a way to bring that out of me, I think I wasn't my full self. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really credit dance and, you know, the Indian dance part of me that um, helped me learn really about my roots and where I came from that helped me really build a little bit more of that, of that strength and stamina. And I think when I look up to those women, you know, and I learned it when I was just sitting in a room doing um, dances, I think when I hopefully little girls, they can see someone like me doing, honestly, it's not even about the cover. I think it's about seeing somebody do what they truly love and be happy in their own path and fight for it. That is the important part for them to learn. So how did your connection with dance influence, you know, the empire that became class pass? Um, well, let's see. So a few things, right? So I was that girl when I was doing consulting, you know, I was working at Bain in the middle of um, New York City. And obviously a job like that is very hard to get and you put all your hours into it. And here I was like trying to find a way to perform on the side and dance on the side and go to classes. I mean, one of my favorite stories um, that I always remember is one day I was walking to work and I lived across the street from Hammerstein Ballroom and they were doing So You Think You Can Dance auditions. And I, I was walking to work and I just remember being like, I'm calling in sick, like I'm going to go audition. And I think it, it was like polls like that in my life that I always felt like I looked around and I felt so different and I felt so unique. But I also felt like I had this like fire in me that I never wanted to go out, you know? And I think when we think about passions in our life, like those are fires, right? Whether you're an athlete or... Um, you know, you love music or you love running, all those things give us that fire. And we forget to prioritize those things because we were put into the grind of the world and kind of go back to it. So I think, you know, throughout my six years that I was working in sort of like the professional world after college, I was that person who was dancing and performing on the weekends. I literally woke up every Saturday morning. I went to rehearsal. I danced through the day. I performed at night. Like I didn't have weekends. I wasn't like, I wasn't traveling. I wasn't going to events or parties. I just really was focused on dancing and working. And one day, um, after six years of working, I remember just being like, I really need to make a shift in my life. I do not really love my day to day. And I think we all end up in places like that, where we sort of see ourselves in this, you know, this sort of routine, this path that is sort of like we're going through the motions of it and not really living our life. And, you know, on the side, what I had also done during those few years is I started building my first venture, which was my dance company. And I started seeing success in that. And, you know, we had sold out shows in New York City. We had been garnering press. We had been getting attention from really well-known people in the Indian community and even outside. And I think all those things were building my confidence of I could go and do something on my own. 
I just had to think of something, right? What was the idea I was going to do? And honestly, entrepreneurship was not something a lot of people talked about at the time. So it wasn't an obvious path for me. It took me to go to Silicon Valley 10 years ago to sort of be inspired by even the idea of entrepreneurship. Um, and, you know, luckily enough, you know, I went to San Francisco, I came back, I gave myself two weeks to think of an idea to say, hey, what if I can do something new with my life? What's, what's an idea or a problem I want to solve in the world? And I remember just, you know, thinking about different things. And I was training in ballet at the time because I was always prioritizing going to class. And I went to go look for a ballet class online. I couldn't find it. It was this like terrible technological uh, problem with like web browsers on like 18 different um, websites and not being able to know which subway goes there, which teacher is right. And in that moment, I just realized how technology can enable this sort of passionate life for so many people. And for me, it was dance, but I know for other people, it's their own passions and their own activities. And I knew I needed to build something because I had fought for it my whole life uh, for everyone else. So on ClassPass was inclusivity and, you know, kind of giving everybody representation, a goal that you had in mind when you created it? Um, so I think for me, you know, I think of fitness and it's funny, right? Like I don't actually even consider myself the normal fitness human being in the sense of like, I'm a 411 petite person. I think I was always that person who was scared. And when I started building the company, I remember saying this so much, like in terms of our branding, in terms of like the way we were putting the word out, I'm like, this is for the 99%. This is not for that 1% of people who are like already okay with walking into a gym and picking up a weight because that was not me. I didn't even know what plank was when I started the company. And I think that was why I knew I had to build it because I knew I had to help people get over their fears. And while I had overcome fears in dance, like I knew I was scared of clipping my shoes into um, a spin bike, right? Going to class or I felt uncomfortable going to yoga and I knew these things were so, you know, soul nurturing for people. And they gave people this like hour of a time where they would connect to a teacher, which, you know, I talk a lot about teachers in my book too, which we can talk about too. But I feel like teachers are these like beautiful coaches in our lives who really guide us even as adults. And I feel like when we're younger, we have a lot of them. We don't when we're older. Um, but that time, whether it's an hour where you're in class, you're off your phone, you're forgetting about your problems, it really rejuvenates you. And so, um, you know, I think for me, it was really building a product that was for anyone and everyone to have this behavior where trying new things was easy. And I think that applies to everyone in the world. And I also think, you know, we wanted to make fitness accessible, you know, and these activities accessible, whether it was like through the pricing and all of that, which was something we had to heavily work on through the years, because it wasn't easy, right? Because a lot of these classes were, were, were really expensive for anyone who's just going to you know, go and walk into one of these studios for the first time to try. And so we really wanted to figure out a way to make it work for obviously the entire industry, but obviously get more people to working out and moving. I mean, and it really worked too, because I mean, speaking from my personal experience, I never tried cycling. I've always been kind of afraid to do cycling, right? Uh, for a variety of reasons, but like everybody always talks about cycling classes, soul cycle, or, you know, all of these different things that they enjoy. It's like a like a nightclub environment, yeah. an exercise environment. Like, and for some reason I was really, really intimidated by it. But I remember when I got class pass, I had access to all of these different cycling studios around me. So I could try it without investing too much money or of myself into it and see how I felt about it, you know? 
and kind of take that first step. And it took a lot of the intimidation out of it. So like your goal, you know, it really worked. You reach people in the way that you wanted to, but since then you've sold class pass. What was that like for you to be a young woman sell an empire like that? Could you have ever imagined that for yourself? You know, you never know when you start these companies, like how and where they will go. I think, um, you know, MindBody, which is a partner of ours, and we've worked with literally since 2012, when I clearly almost like started the company. Um, you know, I think we knew that the two companies would come together at some point because they were really enabling so much of the technology and the reservation system that we were working with. Um, it's never easy. I think like the hardest part of the journey was for me is to actually like let go of my baby, if that makes sense, after 10 years. But at the same time, it's been 10 years, you know, and, and I think about my life and I've always been one of those people who makes like decisions to keep iterating, growing. Like, you know, I always talk about iterating class class, but I knew I had to like iterate on myself as well. I had spent a lot of time solving this problem for the world. And, um, you know, it's, it's still hard though. I mean, it's, it's like, it's very bittersweet. You know, I think founders need like a post like exit group because I think they all are going through wait, like, yeah, it's awesome. And everyone's like, it's awesome. But inside you also feel like a sense of loss. So mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of like back and forth, you know, that I, I go through the motions of it, but it's, it's super exciting, you know, in the sense of, um, you know, just like I said, making the company bigger and better with another partner on board and, having this, you know, first company of mine do so well. And, and like you said, I'm, I'm young and I have so much more ahead. Um, it's, you know, it's really figuring out the impact mm-hmm. that I really want to continue to have on the world. It's like sending a kid off to college. Like you put all of this You're work totally into, right. you know? Actually, it's so funny. I always talk about that. And I, I had a baby two years ago, so now I even feel like more connected to it. But I, you know, I always talked about like the early stages of the company being like, you have an infant, Right. Because literally, it's like a 24-7 job when you're like just trying to get it off the off of it. And then like it starts like walking. It's like a toddler. And I actually remember, so I, when I, um, you know, decided to make Fritz the CEO in 2017, that's when I felt like I was sending the company off to college. And then once we got, just recently got acquired, I was like, it got married. And like, I really can't, I really can't be like, yeah, mom's here <laughs> every 10 minutes. Um, so it is, it's very, it's very true. It's, you know, you have that emotional connection to whatever you build. And, you know, and I even think as a woman, like you just care so deeply. And I think that's fine. You know, I think like we tend to like hide our emotions with these things and people are just like, oh, well, like it's, it's a great like transaction, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, but you care so deeply about what you spent your time on, you know? So it's not as easy as great. Like it's just because it's like a great check mark doesn't mean that the feeling of it just dissipates. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, like for empty net, right? One of the best things that they give or best ways that you can combat like that feeling of depression for empty nester syndrome is picking up on new hobbies, finding new adventures. That's what you've done. Now is your business empty nester. You have a new adventure with life pass, drop your limits, rise to your potential. You're an author now. So tell us a little bit about this new journey for you, about your experience writing your book. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. I started writing the book, obviously, before, you know, I knew that all of this was going to happen. I did, I think, was I pregnant at the time? I was pregnant at the time when I decided to write the book. Um, so I think I just knew that these last 10 years of my life, um, I lived it just in a really unique way. And I think whenever people ask me, you know, how did you do this? I feel, I felt like I had these principles I lived by and I really wanted to share them with other people. 
the core of it came down to the fact that I never let any constraints stand in my way. So my book is designed to walk through different constraints in your life. So the first four are really mental constraints from, you know, knowing your why, the fear of failure, expectations in your life, right? It's different mental constraints that hold us back from doing what we we want to. And so I share my stories as well as self-checkpoints for the reader. Um, and then I go through real life constraints, right? So a lot of times people will say, I'm not doing what I love because I don't have the money or I don't have the time. I don't know the people. And we've all been there, you know? And I think um, I really want people to, to realize they can plan and put together priorities and a way to actually make those things go away so they can do what they love. And so the book is designed really to help people overcome any of their limits to really, you know, do what's most fulfilling and impactful for them. And then the last part of the book is actually, um, it's the Life Pass Method, which is a goal setting session that I've been doing for, um, let's see, about seven years of my life. So I realized about seven years ago, I was in this place where I knew ClassPass was about to take off. Like I had spent, you know, 10 years of my life now sort of checking every box in like the professional world, becoming an entrepreneur. I really, I like knew I was going to have this like amazing company because I figured out the magic of the product and it was going viral. But I looked at my personal life and it was just not where I wanted it to be, whether that was like health, relationships, so many things, friendships. And I realized I needed a system to sort of put my same attitude I put towards my professional life, towards my personal life. And I think for other people, it's they're able to do their personal life really well, not their professional life. But I just needed a system that really for me started with something that was more deep down. So I have four main steps to it. I won't go through all of it because the whole process takes an hour and a half. Um, you can actually pre-order the book right now and get the goal setting workshop if you want it. But, um, you know, the way it starts is I have people reflect on their year um, and come up with what's most sort of really current for them, the words that are most current that really embody what that last year has been. And that could be feelings, it could be thoughts, it could be themes. Um, and then I ask you to dream and be like, what words do you really want to think about? And I think anchoring on these words are really what help you sort of think through who you want to be versus like what you want to accomplish, right? It's, we tend to kind of think about check marks, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of, wait, in a year, how do I really want to feel inside? And I think we tend to put goal setting to be like very practical and away from emotion. But I knew for me, I needed to center it and make sure it was coming from something I really wanted to feel. So that's sort of step one and two. Then it's all about focusing because you can't really put all of your um, eggs in one basket. So I have people go into a whole like time diagnostic and rating system to be able to figure out what areas of their life we're going to tackle first because you can't do everything at the same time. And then once you have those, we go into an in-depth goal setting um, exercise where I have tips on how to even set goals, right? We tend to sometimes put a goal out there, but it's not measurable, or it's something that sort of comes later in the process, not right now, or it's too big, so you never get started. Um, so I go through the whole process. And usually, uh, by the end, people end up with about 10 to 15 goals only for three months. So it's a quarterly goal, goal setting process. It's not annual. Um, so people can really, you know, make an impact in their life in a short term, but also have enough time to to really transform who they are. And people can get access to this goal setting plan now. Yep. If you pre-order life, go to lifepassbook.com, you can pre-order uh, the book. And if you put in your information, you'll have the goal setting workshop at your desktop. That's super timely too, because I feel like 
now is about the time where people start falling off the wagon from their new year's resolutions, all those big goals they had at the beginning of the year. So maybe this will help people kind of stay on top of it and, and reach goals that are attainable, set goals that are attainable rather than these big stars that are harder to reach. Something I want to go back to that you mentioned is constraints. And that got me thinking, I think that everybody has these constraints in their lives. And you said these real life constraints, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. Things that are real, you know? Um, I know that one that's impacting a lot of people right now outside of a professional world is, you know, the housing market. I'm never going to be able to buy a house because of these constraints right in front of me. So I'm wondering what's a time that you faced a real life constraint like that? How did you look it in the eyes and say, you know what, I'm going to have a plan. This is how I'm going to jump over the hurdle and move forward anyways. Yeah. So, you know, I would really say the day I decided to quit my job, I mean, quitting your job and having no income is not an easy decision to make. And I think, you know, before I would advise anyone to do that, to go towards their passion, you need to have a financial plan in place. And, you know, what I did is I spent six years of my life working, you know, getting, building up my savings. You know, I didn't shop. I didn't, I barely went out to eat. You know, I didn't travel. Obviously that was my choice because I had to decide what money meant to me. And I think this is also something I discuss in the book is understanding where do you want to spend money? Because while I didn't spend money on any of those things, I wrote a check for a $30,000 dance show, which felt fine to me because that's what I cared about. Right. So I think it's about knowing what you want to spend your money on and not letting other people's sort of notions of what money is, whether that be the way you were raised or your friends sort of be able to um, block you in being able to think about what money really means to you. And once you have a deep understanding of that, you really need to understand the numbers and come up with a plan. So for me, you know, right before I quit my job and started ClassPass, uh, my dad and I, we sat down and we went through my entire like savings account, every dollar I had, what my expenses would be, obviously what, I, what I'd have to pay for insurance, right? For health insurance to my rent, uh, to my, my monthly expenses to eat. And we built a plan. And in that, I uncovered that I could spend three years of my life living off my savings and go and build this company, which was a huge relief for me, right? To know that I had three years to go after what I wanted to without having to think about having this sort of side job, right? And thinking about, oh, okay, wait, I'm not being able to like pay my pay my rent or pay for my food. Um, and those things really weigh on you, you know? And I think as an entrepreneur, you really don't want to be distracted. I think in, an investor once told me this, and I think it's really true. You know, he talks about when he invests in founders, he really wants to know what they're struggling with. Because if they're struggling with money or struggling with something else, it's going to take them away from building their company, right? And thinking about that. And so I gave myself three years to really just really work on the problem at heart. Um, and I think that obviously paid off in different ways, even though I didn't know that at the time. Um, but I, like I said, I go back to that plan my dad and I made, and that made me feel so much more confident to go and walk in on that day, which when I quit to say like, I'm going to be financially okay. So it really does come back down to, you know, knowing the numbers and putting a plan together. So you feel the freedom, right? I have this mantra in the book that says, make money work for you. You don't work for money because we really don't, right? Why are we working for money? We need to make sure that the dollars we are getting every single day are helping us either grow or, you know, being spent on the things that we truly care about or what's the point. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it sounds like you have a really great support system behind you. Um, you know, especially, you know, you talk a lot about your dad and everything, but I'm wondering, was the expectations of others for the expectations of others ever a personal constraint for you fearing that you weren't 
you know, following their idea of success and maybe the path that they had in mind for you? Absolutely. I mean, um, one of the really big things I go into in the book is this uh, conversation with my mom about getting married. Uh, you know, being, you know, an Indian woman, especially, I think this idea of like not being married when you were in your 20s is kind of, um, you know, just scary for her, you know, and my parents. And they um, really, no matter, you know, how big my company was getting and how many like employees I had, whatever, I think in the back of their mind, they were like, wait, like, are you dating? Are you getting married? What are you doing? And that was probably one of the toughest parts for me and uh, my parents. Like they are so supportive of everything I've ever done in my life. They are the first people there. They are the, always supporting me. But I needed to really get them sort of on board to have like the freedom to live the way I wanted to. And, you know, things worked out. You know, I got married at some point. It was probably just not on their timeline. I had to live by my timeline. And I think, you know, one of the things I sort of started to do during the time, one of the sort of like tips I kind of started to work on was um, having a boundary in place. So, you know, I'd call my mom every day. I mean, I love talking to her. We would talk. And the second she would bring up anything about dating and marriage, I would say, hey, mom, oh, my God, I have a meeting to go to. I love you. I got to go. And I would just sort of cut it off before it triggered me, um, because I think what we forget with expectations, it's it goes in our mind. It like starts this triggering cycle of negative thoughts and it really prevents us from then, you know, living the life we wanted to. And I needed to wake up and sort of like energize my team and go after solving this problem. I didn't want this sort of like negative story in my mind. So that's sort of, you know, how I really dealt with it. And over time, like it helped me also then figure out what I wanted, whether it was a marriage and love, like when I wanted it. And eventually, like I did get married and all of that. My mom's obviously very happy about that. But it was an interesting point for me to just start being able to say, like, when do I start really listening to me? You know, and I think that was a big part. And I think the other time in my life um, with expectations and this, you know, this happened, I think, you know, even even as like class was growing is I sometimes felt embarrassed about my dance side and my artist side because it was not sort of the the normal path of a tech entrepreneur or business person. But I, you know, dance is everything. Dance is what started this company. And I don't know a day in my life or times in my life where I wasn't dancing. And so I do remember there was like this time where I remember questioning it and being like, wait, is someone judging me for having this artistic side to me? Do they think I'm going to be less capable in anything else that I do? And so you do have to just really find a way to fight past it. And I think for me, it was like finding my way to dance and share it in a way that I felt really comfortable with it and um, honing in on that. But I think we have to just really make sure these conversations don't don't impact um, the way we live and our actions over time. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to be authentic in every area of your life. It's so important to be authentic and, and not to hide those aspects of yourself. But I'm really glad that you brought up marriage, actually, because um, and if it's okay, I want to pivot this conversation a little bit because I think a lot of people listening to this podcast can probably relate to that. Um, I know that in my life, I mean, I'm I'm young. I'm in my mid to late twenties. Um, I am married. I have a lot of friends who aren't married. A lot of girlfriends who aren't married. A lot of girlfriends who have been in long term relationships that they thought were going to end in marriage and didn't. Um, some that are really focused on their career and that's their baby. And that's what they want to work on and everything. And I had a conversation with one of my friends not too long ago that broke my heart because she just ended up like a long-term relationship. She thought that that she was going to get married. Um, she thought that was it, but her career is her baby and he wasn't very career driven. It just wasn't going to work. And she said to me on the phone, I wish it was different. 
I just feel like if I was different, then, you know, this would work out. And I see all these people around me getting married and I just feel like I'm never going to, because I'm not focused on the right things. And I was like, it hurts my heart so bad to hear you say that because the way that you are is what makes you so special. And one day you're going to find somebody who values your dedication to your career, who values all of these things about you that right now you're wishing were different. So what's your advice since you went through something similar to the women out there who feel like that? I mean, you are ambitious. She's ambitious and that's never going to go away. And let me tell you something after getting married and having kids, I am still ambitious and I, that's never going to go away. You know, it's just in my DNA. And I think that's, we need more examples of women being happy and celebrated for that as much as they are for, you know, getting married and having kids. And I think that's part of the rhetoric we need to really change in society. And, you know, coming from my own experience, like I, I talk a little bit about this too, like my biggest regret, honestly, like, I mean, people always ask me like, what did you regret right in your life? I have one big regret and I spent way too much of my twenties worrying about boys and marriage and, oh no, does this person like me? And, oh no, like, are they going to call me back? All that stuff. And I think it's such a distraction and why did I even do it? I don't even think I cared. I was so fulfilled in my daily life. And I would come home after huge like events and huge milestones class I'd reach and I would be sad inside because I, I would feel the same way she did. I'd be looking at all my friends. They were getting married, having kids. And I was like invited to a wedding every weekend. I would show up single. And, but I remember just feeling like I have so much to be happy for and I couldn't see it. But once again, I think it's about her surrounding herself with good people around her that are going to let her thrive in the environment she wants to be, which is being an ambitious woman. And when she finds a man, she needs to make sure when and if actually I'll say that she doesn't need one if she doesn't want one. Um, It's about making sure that person's going to always respect her ambitious side. She does not need to change. Please tell her that. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of women listening to this can probably relate to that. And like something that I think is so important in all areas of your life, whether that be your personal life, your career, your relationships is do not settle like anywhere. Do not settle. Do not settle. Nope. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's really funny. This is like such a, it's, it's related to the conversation. My mom's been here, you know, and I'm, I'm really busy right now. We've got this book coming out, all of it. And I remember she came and like, you know what? Like, I'm never going to be a good cook. Like me and the kitchen do not get along. Like that's just basically it. And you know, all throughout my life, I've kind of always been like, when am I ever going to cook? Like maybe when I have a kid one day, my son's about to be two years old and I still don't know how to cook. And I'm just like, mom, this is me. Like accept it. I'm okay. Like the way I am, like I, you know, will get someone to make food or you can make food. Someone can make food. I just, I, I can't do it. You know, it's like not, and obviously if I had to, I would figure it out. I know that. I just, at this point in my life, I'm like, I'm just, it's not a priority and it also doesn't fulfill me. So mm-hmm. why am I doing it out of this sense of obligation that this is what the woman's supposed to do? And you know what? My husband, he loves food. And so he's taken over like dinner duty. <laughs> and I love it, you know, cause I literally am like this part of the evening would stress me out. Like after work, I'm like, I actually want to play with my son, not worry about like what I'm going to figure out and how I'm going to figure out making it for him. And I know these conversations are ones we don't talk about, right? Because we're always sort of like glamorizing the other side of it. And it makes, I guess, people like me, and I don't know how many of them are there like me, feel bad, right? And I think we need to feel, be able to be able to say like, anyone can be in the kitchen. Anyone can take care of the kids. Anyone, you know, gender, it's not a gender thing. 
too, you know, because I don't know how many men ever feel like that, you know, and I'm lucky that I have a great husband who is doing it, but I want other men to be able to say like, I'm going to do that. And it's also not embarrassing if they do. Exactly. And you know, it's funny. I love to cook. I love to cook. I've always loved to cook. I have not touched laundry in six years. I'm embarrassed to say that on the (laughs) podcast, but I have not touched laundry in six years. My husband jokes that he doesn't, I'm not allowed to touch it because he's like, I don't like the way that you do it. You're going to ruin it. Yeah. You're going to ruin it. You know? And so, but there's no shame in that. Like, I feel like a lot of people think husband and wife, the wife takes care of the house, the wife cooks, the wife does laundry, light wife. Why? Why? Why does it have to be that way? It it doesn't. And I think as, you know, going back to like the question you almost started this with, you know, like uh, just seeing more women succeeding, but seeing more authentic women succeeding, people who I think like live and breathe a true lifestyle of ambition, you know, and it's not even there. I'm not trying to also be like a Fortune 500 CEO. Like that's also not me, you know, but it's all about finding what is authentic to you and learning how to, you know, stand up for it, learning how to not feel that anything is going to put you, put you down. You know, one of the big things I talk about is money, right? Like some people are the breadwinners in their family and some people aren't. I think like when you get married, you need to talk about it. And one person who's not making as much money can't ever feel like they're like less and they need to take away their dreams for the other person, right? Like I think it's like, it's situations like this that can trap people and feeling trapped is this life where you'll never feel fulfilled. And no person on earth deserves that, you know, like it's, it's just not needed for anyone. And we really need to find more, more women who are just honestly thriving and succeeding. And even, I mean, I, I hate even, you know, having to talk about this, but like, it's true. Like, I think some of the most successful women I know are somehow sad inside that like they either didn't get married or they got divorced or they didn't have kids. And, and by the way, they're not actually unhappy. It's really, it's society that's making them unhappy. It's actually not any of those actual like points of the process. They're kind of like, they made those decisions because they, they knew they were the right decisions to make. It's just really them thinking about, wait, like, is, is society going to judge me? And so we need to really celebrate more women doing incredible things in their own way and living life and, you know, and, and normalizing the conversation of having help or having someone else, you know, having your husband feed, you know, like celebrate these moments of where the woman is able to thrive in the environment she wants to. Exactly. And I feel like you never hear about like, oh, I'm so sorry for this man that didn't have children or didn't get married. Instead, he's a bachelor. You know, <laughs> he's like, you know, he's a bachelor. He's career driven. He's all this stuff. But for a woman in the same position who started a company or who's like very career driven or who just didn't want that for herself is made to feel guilty about it, even though it's not something that she ever wanted to begin with. So I think that you're right. It's about starting to celebrate these women who are just living the life that they want to live and prioritizing what they want to prioritize. 100%, you know, and so you know, keep sharing these stories, you know, keep having these conversations. And, you know, I think women also need to be able to be honest, you know, like sometimes I, I even I'm like, should I say that? Should I not say that? But I'm like, no, like, this is who I am. I don't care. You know, this is, I have, when people are like, how did you do it? It's because I, I lived by my own drumbeat. You know, I literally do not live on anyone else's timeline. I sort of took expectations and threw them out and built my own expectations of my life. And by the way, they were very high and very high expectations of myself. They were just different. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, obviously look at how that turned out. 
it turned out pretty well. Having high expectations for yourself works, but um, I know that we have to wrap up soon and I want to be, you know, Uh, I want to recognize your time here, but where can people find you? Where can they, where will they be able to get life pass? Um, Where can they follow you, learn more about your journey and everything? Yeah. So my, um, I'm usually on Instagram. So my handle is at pile, P-A-Y-A-L. And then you can go to lifepassbook.com. Like I said, if you go there today, you can pre-order the book and get a goal setting workshop, the life pass method um, in your hands and do it and kick off 2022 in a great way. Can't right. believe it's 2022. Wow. It's not a real year. <laughs> it's not a real year. Well, Bile, thank you so much for joining us here today. Uh, we can't wait to read Life Pass and hopefully thank we'll you. hear from you soon. Okay. Thank you so much. This has been Success Stories with Madison Piper. If you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe, drop a review, and tell your friends. If you'd like to hear more shows like this one, go to success.com slash podcasts.